Hello and welcome back to Music is the Drug, the Cowboy Junkies podcast. I'm Dave Bowler and I write the biography of Cowboy Junkies, Music is the Drug. Black Eyed Man, the band's fourth album, marked a real change for the Junkies, markedly more up-tempo than previous recordings. Southern Rain, the first song on the album, set the tone for that new agenda with its chunky guitar riff to kick things off, as Michael Timmins explains. Yeah, that that the that that guitar chunk is kind of my, again that's that's my go-to my go-to uh, rhythm really, um, and uh, I don't think we'd uh, it's my it's been my go-to since then. I don't know if we'd used it up until that point. So um, yes, yeah, so with with Southern Rain is off of uh, Black Eyed Man, and with that record. We wanted it sonically to be different, and uh, and certainly lyrically, you know, this long song is is a good example of it. I wanted to write a series of narrative songs. This one isn't necessarily the same narrative all the way through. It sort of it's kind of comes back to the same narrative, but um, I just wanted this to be little story songs, right? So you know, there's characters in them. There's there's locate there's place and there's time and there's um and a little bit of a a little bit of a plot. So. This is an example of it. And it's really, you know, a lot of the songs on Black Eyed Man are about me me uh, meeting, courting my wife, Patty. And uh, so, the, you know, there's some very, very literal plot lines on this. Like the first, the first, uh, the first uh, couple of lyrics, uh, paragraph stanzas, verses are, are kind of pretty, pretty re- real. Like I would come home from tour because Patty was living in, in Richmond, Virginia at the time. And, I'd come home from tour and basically jump in a car and drive south to Richmond for as much time as I had off between tours, and we were touring a lot back then. So it's kind, of, it's very, it's very, and, and you know, and Richmond in the South and Virginia was very, very um, well. It's just you know, the weather patterns, the culture, everything was very exotic. You know, it's an exotic location for me at the time. Um, she lived in Richmond, which is you know, is definitely a, a southern city, um, and uh, she lived in a little. Well, she lived in Oregon Hill, which is it's in the song, the next song on the record, but uh, which is a very kind of very working class neighborhood, uh, low rent neighborhood. And there's a lot of characters and it was just a really exotic and time for me, obviously meeting Patty and, and that whole side of it. And then all these different sights and sounds and it, it, it all fed into this record and Southern Rain certainly being one of that, one of those songs. You do get the the sense of place in that in the record as a whole, and particularly in Southern Rain, the the Southern Heat, the steam rising off the the sidewalk. It's got that kind of swampy feel to it, I guess. Yeah, I guess we wanted the music certainly to 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 reflect that as well. So, I think with this song and with uh, Oregon Hill, especially, um, that was that was our you know that's our, that's our that's our sound anyways. But uh, we certainly wanted it to be to to ref, be reflective in in these songs for sure. Southern Rain as, as a song, as the first, um, the first track on that record. I mean, it, it does make a make a statement, doesn't it? Because I mean, it, it is quite a step change from from what you'd done before. Yeah, you know, and again, that was intentional. You know, we we'd been touring a lot. We'd gotten more confidence. We'd sort of realized we can expand our sound and what we do. And um, certainly, you know, Whites and Trinity and Caution Horses were very low key. And, as far as tempo goes and an approach, it was, you know, very similar, not similar albums, but similar approach. And, and this record going into, then going into Pale Sun and then even Lay It Down, you know, we, we, we just, we'd, we'd gone up, we'd gone somewhere else as a band, right? So we were with this record with Black Eyed Man, we were certainly still 
exploring some of the instrumentation that we were we had explored on Caution Horses and Trinity, but we expanded that. And we're using our own instruments differently. You know, we wanted the we, we wanted the band to sort of step out a little bit. I know Margo was exploring more with her voice, you know, as we beginning to sing out more. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely a, it was definitely a step forward, you know. And um, and we got out of our comfort zone. Like with this record, Peter Moore was not involved in any of the production. So, again, that's, you know, that was a big step away. Peter was very involved with the first three records. And um, so, you know, just a, lot, just a lot of sort of stepping out and, and uh, figuring out where we want to go from here. Yeah, I mean, at that point, we'd done a lot of, you know, a lot of touring, even though we only had a couple of records out. We've just been on the road for so long. So it just seemed like it was such a, a long time in that um, in the realm of those first two records playing that stuff. So when it came down to that, to doing that record, it was, um, it just seemed like years and years and years that we've been doing you know, that junky sound. And let's break out of that, even though it wasn't that long. It is amazing how time is so different when you're young and you're like 20s, early 30s or whatever. And then it gets when you get into your 50s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's an odd thing. Somebody needs to figure that out one day. Slow it down now. <laughs> Alan Anton's bass part, as so often, really catches the ear. This time, though, there's an echo of a famous bass player from Liverpool in the mix too. Yeah, well, that's the bass line that all bass players go to when they can't think of what to do for a song. Oh yeah, I'll just try the day tripper thing. And you, and you just put it in a different key or a few different emphasis, emphasis on a few different notes and say, oh, yeah, it didn't sound like Day Tripper anymore. But it always does. <laughs> it's such a great bass line. But, yeah, that, that's it. Ended up driving the song and, um, and building it into, into where it goes. I think, the uh, again, that song started out as, as a chugging, almost a Bo Diddley kind of thing going on with, with Mike on, the, on his guitar. And... It, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't change much, so we had to sort of figure out other sections to it. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's such a long time ago, and there's, there's a lot of musicians involved on that one, too. I can't, I can't remember the, the exact evolution of it, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of people playing on that that don't usually play with us. So it made it into something different, and that's what we were looking for on that record was, you know, something, uh, contributions from other musicians to take it out of but out of junky world. Yeah, I think that was the general idea. I, think, I mean, I, I really like that record. It's really different from what we did up, up until then. And, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of a turning point for us in terms of experimenting with, with different, uh, different musical ideas. Yeah, the, the, the Al's bass line is great. It's, it, you know, Al, Al never, he could even, you know, he, he never, he never, if there's space, he, he's not going to, He's not going to just sit on it, and then this is necessary. But he he's got this great way of just putting in these little melodies, and so certainly the the whole intro to that song, he's got this great off bass line, sort of off off time, and uh, off of my guitar, and then off of Pete's drums, and and the vocal sits on top of it. So yeah, it's a very cool, uh, very cool bass line. And then once it gets going, yeah, it goes very day trippery. And you know, and and I think Ken Meyer, who plays the lead on this, he picked up on that, and he puts that little sort of day tripper lick in there every now and then, right? It's very, so I think that there was definitely, uh, definitely that vibe going on. I guess having Ken in particular on there was, was different having a sort of a, 
the more conventional lead player, lead guitar player in that sense than the year before. I mean, obviously, you know, Mike the band and Kim was was playing a different sort of thing, wasn't he? Yeah, with, with Ken Meyer, he's he sounded like uh, more of a classic rock kind of a brought a, that kind of sensibility to the songs, which you know we love classic rock, so you know we just went with it and. Um, adding Mike's guitar parts to his guitar parts was interesting as well because Mike plays completely different, different kind of stuff from him. So it wasn't, uh, I don't think it was that easy to put it all together. And because it is a, like I said, pop structure, you know, we had to work on the parts and make them smooth and go into one another and the whole thing, which is a whole different idea of working than we'd had before. But, you know, someone like Ken was, uh, you know, that's what, that's what he does. So it's really easy for him to figure out what to do. Yeah, it, it brought in a kind of also structurally more of a pop element. A lot of those songs are, are structured more like, you know, standard pop songs, which which shied away from, you know, we'll never done that really. We might have tried a couple of times on the previous records, but on a single song here and there. But you know, overall, we're just a groove jam band. But, uh, you know, just we love repetition and we can just play one one lick over and over again for 10 minutes and make that into a song. And we still do that sometimes, you know, it's great. But um, yeah, on, on those, on that record, on those songs, there's definitely a pop sensibility to it in terms of breaking it down to structures and verses and choruses and all that, which we weren't really thinking about too much before that record. Southern Run, I mean, it, it's what we used to call a classic single, not that there's such a thing as classic singles anymore. I mean, you know, people don't necessarily think of you as that kind of a group, but in a, in another world, that could have been a could easily have been a hit. Yeah, it's got it's got a, nice, a cool groove and it moves. I mean, it's like Common Disaster, you know, that sort of came out of nowhere a few years later. Uh, very similar, you know, kind of a, a interesting groove, and um, it's got a little bit of pace to it, you know. So, which which the DJs and adver- radio advertisers like. So, yeah, it could have been, you know, but we never, we were never looked upon like that as uh, from, from our record companies. And that's their job to sell these things as singles. And um, so, yeah, I, I, there, there's, whenever we had anything on radio, it was always a fluke. It was always by chance that, you know, somebody happened to pick it up and it got played a lot and it got reaction and then it kind of spread a bit. That's from Sweet Jane to Common Disaster. Like, it was always, it was always sort of, it wasn't it was never the record company going oh this is the song okay we're gonna get behind this they always got behind it after they saw a little bit of movement happening but it was never it was never their um you know it was never their push it was, it was uh, but they, you know whatever that's we, we were a weird band for them so i remember margot telling me that around this sort of time was when the record companies were trying to break her off into an Edie Brickell kind of a thing and, you know, put more focus on her and, and change the, the dynamic of the band. I mean, that must have been a, a tough one to deal with. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, that certainly, I, I can't remember when it started. I can certainly remember certain incidents of it happening, of, you know, of somebody approaching me with a big smile, you know, saying, oh, you know, I think, what about, you know, and when we, when it's time to talk about a new Jungies record, well, what about a Marco Solo record? You know, just like, oh, my God. So, and me, me at that time in my, in my life, I was, I could, I could get kind of aggressive. So, <laughs> I, 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 so they never approached me again, but then the next person would, you know, the next, the next president had our A&R guy who would have to deal with. So, um, yeah, it, it happened a lot. And, and you know, Margot, to her credit, you know, understood what they're trying to do and, and, uh, 
you know, stayed away from it. So it was, it, 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 uh, it, it, it worked out for everybody. I think in the long run, it worked out for everybody. She, I'm sure she could have had a smash hit solo album, but God knows where it would have gone from there. Who knows? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, how, how were you feeling as, as a band? I mean, obviously you and Mike have been doing this now for, I don't know, what, 12, 13, 14 years by that stage, but for Pete in particular, I mean, started as a non-drummer virtually when you were making whites. He'd obviously come quite a long way and played a hell of a lot in, what, four or five years by then. He was, he surprised us, I'd say. We didn't, we didn't think he was, he was going to be as good as he became. You know, just technically, it's, you know, drums are hard to play. It's easy, easy to play just a groovy drum thing, which, which is all that was required when he first started. The ones who started doing these more challenging structural things, you know, he really settled into it and was able to do it really quickly. We thought. I think one of the, the recurring things in, in this and, and recurs to the record is the, is the idea that um, what looks like an escape can actually end up being a trap. I think that's my life. I think that's my, I think that's, uh, that's, that's my unfortunate fallback position in life. Um, you know, I have a, I have a tough time enjoying the moment because I always think, okay, you know, that's that again, that goes back to the Catholic side in me, you know, I, I enjoy this moment, but there's going to be paid, but there's going to have to be sort of retribution for it. You got to pay, you got to pay for the good times. You can't just have a good time. So, yeah. So there's a running towards something, but, you know, it, it running towards what you think is an escape, but it's actually a trap. So, you know, it, it sort of breaks into that in the, in this, you know, after the second, after the first chorus and the next, the next sort of lines are, are really about, uh, you know, that, that, that type of, that type of uh, relationship where somebody is, you know, thinking they're going escaping somewhere, but then, you know, not really. And uh, so maybe that was, that, that's probably always sitting there. And, 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 and especially back then, you know, I, I knew I was heading, do a pretty serious relationship with Patty and you know, that's, that's, that's scary. So that's probably, that probably peaks out there every now and then. The, um, the line, it'll never cease to amaze me. Oh, it'll rain can drive folks crazy. That is, um, that's the core cowboy junkies line really, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> um, you know, and just, just from a, an extremely, Never mind the metaphorical side of it, but just the practical side of it too, right? It's just like, oh my God, like it's raining, folks. We've seen this before. <laughs> we can deal with it. We don't have to all sort of like lose our minds, especially when you're in a car, right? And people just start, I don't know what they're doing. But yeah, metaphorically, for sure, you know, a little bit of, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's playing on that. It's playing on the, the, um, the, 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 um, the line, you know, uh, into every life, little rain must fall. So that, that's that's what it's about. It's sort of, you know, you got you got you got to deal with you got to deal with the rain and the sunshine. We hope you get the weather you want between now and our next episode next week. Whether it's raining or not, you can still get Sharon, the new limited edition vinyl release from the band, available at cowboyjunkies.com. You can also get a copy of their most recent studio recording, Songs of the Recollection, from there or from all the usual outlets. The authorised biography, Music is the Drug, is available there too. The Junkies are back on the road 
with new tour dates coming in all the time in North America, all over Europe, and in Australia and New Zealand too. Keep checking the website for news of those shows. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, like it, share it, add reviews, and do all those other social media things to spread the word. We really appreciate it. If you're a Spotify user, you can follow our growing podcast playlist. All the details of that, everything else, is in the show notes. We'll see you next week. The wipers beat a rhythm Truck spray obscures my vision But I'm closing in on my destination Two more hours and I'll be at your door Crooked smile and steady downpour.